success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. And we have an invincible one to introduce you to today. Diane Cohen Schneider grew up in Illinois, but spent most of her adult life in Stanford, Connecticut with her husband and their three children. She holds a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA in finance. And she used her education to get a job on Wall Street. Her career as a finance sales executive during the 1980s inspired her debut novel, Andrea Hoffman Goes All In. After leaving Wall Street, she continued her love of finance, believing everyone should have basic financial literacy skills. She's taught courses and workshops. And because she feels money management is not only necessary, but fun. She has an Instagram account called Money Like a Mother, seeking to expand their horizons. Diane and her husband recently moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh my gosh, Diane, welcome, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh. So from Stanford, Connecticut, to New Mexico. What a journey. It was a journey. I think a lot of the people that knew us thought we were just kind of bonkers. Um, But you know what? My husband and I had lived there 31 years and we had got what one of my friends said was kind of root bound. You know, we were used to the same old things and going to the same old places. And so this was an effort to repot ourselves, and it's been very successful. We love it here. I love that. It's always great to up and go, right, and do something new. I love that. You know, one of my favorite memories about Stanford, Connecticut, was I took a business trip, and my boss took a group of us to Stu Leonard's store (laughs) to teach us about the rule number one, right? And and rule number two, and to learn more about leadership. And it was so much fun. And every time I think of Stanford, Connecticut, I get that warm, fuzzy feeling of being with that group of executives and learning, you know, about leadership and about customer service and and business. So I just, I love having that memory uh, and having it connected to you. Because when I think of that now, I'm going to think of you. Excellent. The customer is always right. And number two, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The customer is always right. (laughs) Yeah. If the customer isn't right, read, read number one. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. What a fun experience. And um, I'm sure it was just amazing for you. 
uh, to be able to to live there. And I'm sure you have many great memories with your family. And that's Absolutely. so cool. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, all that you've done since then, right? And um, I would love for you to just jump in and tell our listeners, like, how in the world did you even get where you are today? You know, what you're doing and what makes you invincible? Yes. Well, you know, I was an economics major in college. I've, I've always been fascinated by how the world of money works. Um, and But my getting a job on Wall Street was a pretty much of an accident. I answered an ad in the newspaper. And there was two jobs at that firm. One was in bonds and one was in stocks. And I didn't really know the difference. So the stock job paid $10 more a week. So I jumped at that one. Um, and as they say, the, the rest is history. Um, but anyway, I, I spent about a dozen years on, on Wall Street during the 1980s, which was a really interesting time. It was really the birth of the whole um, stock market explosion. When I first started, the New York Stock Exchange traded like 10 million shares a day. Now it trades 10 million shares in a fraction of a second. Um, so that was a great time to learn. It was a great time um, to work there. What wasn't really great was the sexism, the racism, the anti-Semitic, <laughs> all of that. Um, yeah. But it makes for good um, book material. So I saved that all away. And when I started a family, I did leave Wall Street because that's not a terrific job um, to have when you're when you're raising children. It's a lot of entertaining, um, a lot of drinking. And um, <laughs> we moved we moved on from that. I did teach seminars. Um, I taught in the local community college. Um, and then in about 2008, uh, there was a lot of interest in Wall Street, the Wolf of Wall Street, the book and the movie came out. And I thought, huh, I was there and I've got a different story to tell. I think I'll tell my story. So that's how I went from uh, finance sales executive to uh, running a household to becoming a book author. Amazing. Amazing. So tell us what makes you invincible. I think I'm invincible because I believe in knowledge. And I think that if you have the knowledge, you can do anything. And I think all of the knowledge is out there. You just have to look for it. I love that. That's amazing. Okay. Well, I think you really set the stage here for where we're going next, which is our topic today that we're talking about is personal finance and investing. So I would love for you to speak about that to our listeners and give them a little education here on all that you've learned and that you know, and that you practice in your own life. Okay. I hope people didn't like immediately switch off when you said finance, <laughs> because a lot of people, men and women, um, think the topic is A, too hard, B, too boring. Um, but frankly, it's so necessary. When you were growing up, uh, you learned to brush your teeth. It's not very exciting, but you do it because you learned it's necessary. 
And I think a lot of people don't have that family background with, with finance, but it is so necessary to take care of your financial health like you take care of your physical health. And I'll tell you a little story about a relative of mine. We'll, we'll call her Anne. And she was in her mid-60s, and her husband dropped out of a heart attack. Very sad. And he was an accountant. And we all gathered at the family home. Um, it was right on April Fool's Day, April 1st. So what happens in April? You have to pay your taxes. So everyone was, you know, trying to stay busy. What could we do to help Anne? And what we decided was that we should make sure that her taxes got filed. So we fanned out. Everybody took a room in the house to search for these papers. And someone comes up from the basement with a giant paper bag. And she said, do you think this is helpful? And in the paper bag were livestock and bond certificates. Lots of them. And it turned out <laughs> that Anne had had no idea that her husband had been investing all of these years. Now, the good news is she was comfortable in her, in her retirement. The bad news was she had scrimped and saved and trips they took were always second class, never first class. They went to Malta, not Paris. And she was mad. <laughs> and she was really, really mad, which was maybe a good distraction from the morning, but not exactly what we had had in mind. The thing was, if you have that knowledge, then you have power. And since he withheld all that from her, she didn't have the power in the relationship. She didn't have the choices. And that's really why I want women and men to understand their financial situations, because it really gives them more choices. So that's how I kind of got really passionate um, about this whole subject. I love that. Yeah, poor Anne too, right? So she found out later, you know, that's kind of got to be bittersweet, right? So there's that grateful part of like, oh, wow, he was investing. So that was really good. And, and you know, uh, that can create security. But again, you know, I see people do that where they live like they're poor, uh, but then they die, right? And so, and that like, to me, is such a sad way to live is like to not really live thinking you're saving for retirement. How many times we see people live like that? They deprive themselves of the life they want to have. And then they're saving for retirement. And then they don't live much past retirement. Yeah. Right. And then you're like, what, what did I, what was I saving myself for? Right. right. Like, and that to me is such a sad, sad story. Uh, and I think like, and I, I'm sure that you can help our listeners understand that there is a better way that they can live the the life that they want to live and still be prepared for retirement without really sacrificing. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Right. <laughs> I mean, I can count over and over and list the names of the people that I've seen this happen to. So I know it's a real thing. Uh, and I love that you're so skilled in that area. So let's talk about this. So uh, I think a lot of people had a real shake uh, of of the pandemic uh, when they realized they weren't prepared financially to face some of the 
the devastation that came with the, the pandemic. Um, but what are some of the things that you recommend that people can do to get themselves set straight and that their finances are in order? And I, when I say that, I mean like in proper order. Right. I think one of the first things is that people really need to keep track of, of what they have. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that don't open their mail. They're like, I don't want to look at it. <laughs> and unfortunately, that doesn't really help. Um, so I think writing down in one place what you've got is, is very, very helpful and really what you can expect. Um, what are you going to get in the future? Are you going to get a pension? Are you going to get social security? Um, so you, you need to have sort of an idea of what you've got. And then I think you have to realize that your money can work for you, even if you only have a little, and that's what makes money different from so many other things. It's a living thing. It can grow. So people go ahead and they set up, um, you know, their 401k at work, but then they don't put it in anything or they set up an IRA. An IRA or a 401k that's just sitting in cash is you might as well have it under your bed. The idea is that you have to put money places where it will grow. And luckily, I mean, the financial um, industry has really evolved. You don't have to have an individual stock. You don't have to know how to buy bonds. You can buy um, either a mutual fund or what's called an EFT. And a professional just bundles all that together for you. Um, and, and you can, it's a, I hate to use set it and forget it because I don't believe that you really should forget it. But to a certain extent, you can set it and forget it for a while. So um, I think that's my, my number one thing is that make sure you are making your money work for you. Um, and that would also include make sure your money isn't working against you um, by having a lot of, of credit card debt. That's not, everyone knows that's not a good thing. It's easier said than, than done, right? But especially when, like during the pandemic, things got kind of scary. Yes, they did. Well, people's jobs changed. Some people lost their jobs altogether. Uh, you know, and now we're looking at inflation, right? Everything costs more just to live, just the normal lifestyle. So that's scary too. But I love what you say of having your money work for you, not against you. So I've never really uh, had that concept in my mind. But my question is, and I and would have been, you just kind of answered it. <laughs> is where is the where are people failing when it comes to money the most? So I'm thinking you're saying this is this credit card situation, right? Is this where most people are really falling short? I think taking on too much debt. And, and the other thing that I've heard people say is, yes, I have $1,000 worth of credit card debt, but I have $1,000 in savings. It's, it's not like these things are in separate buckets. <laughs> and and you, have to, um, you have to think of your money really as all one giant pool um, and see where things net out such a wonderful opportunity. It used to be that interest rates, not to get really wonky here, were basically zero. If you had your money in uh, the bank, 
you got no interest at all. It just sat there. But interest rates have gone up considerably. So right now, you can probably get 3 or 4% by putting your money in a high-yield account. And frankly, that, that adds up. Um, and it's very easy to do. Almost all, all finances can, can take place online. And I think the thing is, is that people get really frightened of doing this, of hitting that button, you know, that send button. But everything can be reversed. If you buy a stock and go like, oh, my God, I meant to sell. Well, all you do is you hit the button and you can, and you can reverse the trade. Um, investing and is not a zero-sum game. You know, a zero-sum game is when one person wins, the other person has to lose, like in chess. Um, and in, in investing, a lot of people can win as the markets rise. So it's not as scary that you're going to make a big mistake. Um, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why men are more apt to be the investors in the family than women. And it's not because they know more. And frankly, studies have shown it's not because they uh, do better. It's just because they're more aggressive and they think they know more and they think they'll do better. Um, and they're less fearful. It's as simple as that. So I was thinking that they're less emotional, right? So there's not all that emotional attachment as what women have uh, in they're like, what if, what if, well, and men are like, they love the risk, the adrenaline right. junkie of like, right. let's see what happens next. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's interesting. So I've had a lot of my friends who have been like, oh my gosh, the market is crashing the stock market. I'm losing my pants. It's on fire. <laughs> right. Uh, and like, <laughs> like what, what, what do you have to say to this? Like, yes. tell us about that because that is scary because once you make that decision to put your money there, you're kind of don't have control. Uh, you don't want to sell when it's crashed. Right. So like, so what do you say about that? Because we kind of give up control here. Right. Absolutely. What they say is that bull markets, meaning times when the market is going up, is are long. And bear markets, times like now when the market is going down, are short. And you're better off being spending time in the market than timing the market. It can turn around in an instant. And I'm not smart enough, no one's smart enough to know when that's going to happen. So really the best thing to do when we have bad times like this is have a plan. Um, Mike Tyson famously said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And right now is pretty much a punch in the face, but you have to stick to the plan. And the best way to do it is what they call dollar cost averaging, which is just put a small amount of money in the market um, every month, every quarter, whatever whatever works for you, whether it's up or whether it's down. Um, and, and as you exactly said, take the emotion out of it. Um, you know, every study has shown that eventually the market um, rebounds, um, the U.S. economy rebounds. And um, if you can afford, and this is kind of key, to leave the money in there for the next 10 years, money that really you're going to need in the next couple of years for a house probably doesn't belong in the stock market. 
Um, but if you can leave it in there for 10 years in the long run, you will, you will come out ahead. I love that. That's great advice. So where would you say, like, I think a lot of people who haven't invested think, I don't have enough money to invest, right? Like they have this idea in their head that they have to have all this money sitting around like, oh, gee, what will I do with my money today? Maybe I'll invest it. How much money is a good amount of money uh, for the average person to invest where they're going to see that money grow pretty consistently? Where do you start yeah. with that? Yeah, like, I guess that's... people don't realize that they do have money in the market. If you have a pension from your work, that money is probably invested in the stock market. If you have a 401k, that money is probably invested in the stock market. So I guess for individuals, I would say that money that you're not going to need, like I said, over the next decade is where you should start. And the amazing thing is you can start with, with a dollar now, the kind of um accounts that they have you can you can buy a fraction can you not afford to buy a hundred dollar share of apple you can actually even buy a fraction of apple and the reason why i suggest doing that isn't because you're going to be rich money doubles pretty much every seven years is what they say so if you invested a dollar in seven years you're going to have two dollars <laughs> So that's not the reason to do it. The reason to do it is there's no better way to learn than have some skin in the game, as they say. So starting very small like that is a way to learn and get comfortable. And then once you sort of know what you're doing, um, then you can increase your involvement. There are terrific um websites, um, even all the brokerage firms, Schwab, Fidelity, have online tutoring um, about how to do these things. And the other thing I would say is, even with a small amount of money, you can, you can meet with a financial advisor and they will help you um, invest your money. But I would also say that you need to know a little bit before you go that route so that you know what they're telling you is good. It's sort of like when, you know, I walked in to help my son buy a car and the leasing amount they told me was like $500 a month for this Honda. My husband went back with him, same car, same salesman. Oh, $300 a month. <laughs> That just so, makes me angry. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh. Um, you do you do have to know so that people um, don't take advantage of you. And, and you know, there's a very famous phrase on, on Wall Street, and it's, if you know what's going on, you don't have to know what's going on to know what's going on, which is also probably true in most people's relationships. <laughs> But that's a different podcast, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Wow. So, you you know, even with a financial advisor, you really can't give up responsibility. But the other thing that I would say is that there's easier ways to learn about finance than, you know, taking an online course. I bet you, you know exactly what would happen to you if, God forbid, you got arrested. You would be read your rights. You would be booked. You would get a lawyer. You have the right to have a lawyer if you cannot, you know, afford one. How do you know all this? 
probably from watching TV the same way I know all this. I didn't go to law school. I haven't, you know. And there aren't a lot of TV shows that have dealt with financial ideas. Like no one on Friends ever talked about, you know, raising their CD rates or anything like that. But there are a lot of fun shows that you can watch that would expose you to that. Undercover Boss, um, that's really fun. That tells you how businesses work. American Greed on CNBC, boy, that's an eye-opener on um, how business works. Even Shark Tank, um, really fun programs that you can watch. It's just going to get you comfortable with what the language of investing is, how people think about business, about profits. Um, and when you're with your children, I think this is so important. You know, when you're in the grocery store, oh, look, they put all the expensive stuff right at eye level for you to grab. And the generic stuff is, you know, you'd have to get down on your knees to find it. <laughs> Just think little lessons like that. Um, talk about money. Talk about pricing. Talk about the price of gas. That's on everybody's mind these days. Yes, it is. I'm so glad you brought that up about kids because, you know, of course, your money like a mother. You've raised your own children with all of this knowledge that you you have, what would you say to parents about like what conversation do they need to be having with their children at what point? Uh, and what is a good formula for children to invest? Yes, actually, and that's a that's a terrific thing. First of all, we just all have to get more comfortable talking about money. It's such a taboo subject. Um, and it and it shouldn't be. You know, who makes more money, a teacher or a truck driver? Like, these are things that that are realities and, and can be talked about. Um, you know, why why is college so expensive? You know, no, you can't have that Xbox 100 or whatever we're up to now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because we need to save the money for college. If this just became like normal conversation rather than something that was awkward, um, that goes a very long way. And then, you know, a present for for your birthday, like I just said, instead of buying him a new pair of Nikes, you could get him one share of Nike stock. They'll send you a cool certificate that he can put on his wall and he can brag to his friends or her friends that they have a share of Nike stock and then they learn how to follow the price in the, in the, you know, online. And I mean, these are like ways um, to get kids excited. I think about, about, um, you know, handling their own money. And, and of course, although I hate to say it, um, it should also be taught to women that, you know, Cinderella is, is, only a fairy tale. <laughs> no one is going to come along and save them and that they also have to really learn these things um, and take care of themselves. I love what you're saying here. And I actually never thought of this, but oh my gosh, don't buy the $100 sneakers, buy a share of stock. Wow. Talk about impact and about legacy and really teaching the children how to 
think about money and have that respect for it and be able to learn just, you know, as a natural thing to grow up with that knowledge. And of course, the power, right? There's the freedom of the finance, you know, financial freedom is a real thing. Uh, and I think that that is amazing in itself. And I, I love what you're saying here. I love what you're teaching um, I just can't say enough about it. And <laughs> I wish you had had this conversation with me when my kids were young, seriously, but you can bet I'm going to have this conversation with my kids about their kids because oh. yes, because the buck stops here, right? Like you can make that change any day. And that is so powerful. I absolutely love it. I think that you know, people say like, oh, money isn't everything. And it's like, not unless you don't have any, then it's everything, right? <laughs> oh, all you do is think about money, right? People who don't have any think about it all the time. There's right. so much shame that comes with money right. uh, and it shouldn't be that way. And I love how you're empowering people to be educated, to have the knowledge, which in turn is the power uh, and it gives the freedom to be able to just go right just be with it and um i just love it you know you hear that i heard growing up about money being evil and things like that it's like no it's not it's what you do with it that can be evil right and this world could prove that over and over again um but i just love the concept and i love what you're doing and forget the sneakers own the company. OMG. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about this investing, um, growing your money? I would love to know, like, what's your favorite stock? Uh, <laughs> if I don't know if you even want to say that, but I always think like, what's the go-to one? What's the one you see is the best or the hottest one right now? Right. I am not a financial advisor, so I probably shouldn't give a specific stock, but I'll tell you the best way to pick a stock is by what's in your own life. A freelance, um, she works in, in uh, consulting, and she noticed that she was using the company Fiverr a lot. I had never heard of Fiverr. It's a way to connect with people um, to do jobs for you. And um, because that was a company she used and she knew, she investigated the stock. And I think that's really the best place to start. Um, you know, and it and it works in a in a lot of in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people got say turned off by Facebook, and maybe it's time to think if you had Facebook to sell it. Your own personal experience is really valuable. From there, you have to sort of go along and find out you know whether or not the stock is priced correctly. But that's a you know people know more than they think they know. Go with your gut on a lot of these things. I love that. And, you know, it's funny, but as you say this, I can't help but think about Zoom when, you know, it was some people Zoomed and some people didn't. And then there was a pandemic and man, everybody <laughs> was going to Zoom. The value of that company went up and skyrocketed, yeah. right? And it's like, you know, it's interesting how the economic impact can really, you know, determine where the value lies. So I think that's amazing as well. And this has been so such a great conversation. Uh, I would love to talk about your book 
and I am so excited to, uh, it's all here in front of me and I'm like, what did I do with it? It's right in front of me, <laughs> but I love this book. Andrea Hoffman goes all in love, love, love this book. So tell us a little bit about why our listeners should read this book and what is it they're going to learn from it? Well, I, the number one reason they should read the book is because it's fun and it's funny. Um, you know, I don't, I, I read a lot and a lot of books are really heavy. Um, and it's, it's great to have a book, um, that's fun. Um, it's also what I call a workplace novel. Um, I took sort of as my inspiration, the devil wears Prada. Like how wonderful was that to learn about the world of fashion that you didn't know through the eyes of, of that character. So I took this sort of same approach, which is that I took a world that I knew and really thought was fun and have you sort of learn about it as my character, um, you know, gets she knows very little and she gets a job and she eventually decides that, you know, this is the place for her. And she works very hard, has a lot of you know, trouble, some mistakes, um, and eventually has to decide what success means um, to her. But, you know, I think that that reading this book might just make you go, oh, hmm, finances, actually not boring. It's fun. Um, there's an old movie, although everyone can find all movies these days online, yay, called Working Girl, which was made in the 1980s starring Melanie Griffith. And it's a, a similar sort of topic um, and it has fabulous 80s fashion and and a lot of romance um, but again you know to watch a movie like that to watch trading places with Eddie Murphy which is hilarious I mean you might pick up something about commodities and and <laughs> trading um, so that's really why I wrote this book is because it was a world that I loved and that I don't think people knew a lot about. I love that something good. <laughs> I love it. So for our listeners, all you need to do is click the link in the show notes. It will take you right to this amazing book. Andrea Hoffman goes all in. So make sure to click the show notes and you can get your copy and enjoy this fun, fabulous, uh, fun way to learn and uh, read. So, so much fun. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour, which is a virtual event that's going to happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster, and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. 
whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend and it is on Zoom. So super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Well, you know, Diane, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs, that we're going to spotlight their expert zone of genius, and we're going to pull back the curtain. See, people see you. They see this amazing book that you've written. They hear you speak about the knowledge of this finance and investing, growing your money. And they think you're so lucky. You're so smart. I can't be smart like her or lucky like her. They have no idea the price you had to pay for the success that you get to enjoy today. And you know, it's really interesting because once we tell them the truth and they hear your story and they hear what the success cost they really don't want to pay that price. <laughs> you know, they just want to have the life you live. They don't really want to pay the price that, to have that life. And mm -hmm. so I love that we can be authentic, that we can say to these women that are coming uh, on after us that it can be difficult, but you can do it. And when you share your story, you give them the courage and the permission to get back up and keep running for their dreams, even when they just want to give in. So I know like, you know, it's not easy dealing with money. It's not easy being a woman in finance and investing uh, and, and having, you know, it's a, a lot of times a man's world, right? As you said, in the eighties uh, and it's, it's maybe a little better, but we still have a long way to go. And so I love that we're able to do that today. And I would love to share a little bit about your journey are you ready to pull back the curtain? I am ready. I love this part so much. <laughs> so I would love for you to share with us a story about the good or the greatest part of your journey so far. Well, the greatest part of my journey was getting this book published. Um, I started writing it in 2008. So this has been a very long process. The first thing I had to do was teach myself how to write a novel because I was economics major with an MBA. None of my experience was in writing fiction. 
so that took a little bit of time. And then, of course, I went through the process of trying to get it traditionally published. And I had uh, one uh, agent tell me that she loved my character, but she was always bored by finance. Could she have a different job? No, couldn't have a different job. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily, I was at this long enough that the business actually changed. And the computer changed everything, how we write books, how we sell books, how we publish books, how we distribute books. And so I was able to notice that trend, jump on it, and find an independent book publisher, not one of the big five, um, that published my book. She writes press. They are amazing. They did an amazing job. Um, And having a book out there gives you credibility to do things like this. Um, I've heard from a lot of old friends. I've met a lot of new friends. um, And I've learned a lot of new skills. So that's really, really been a terrific. I, I think that's that's been the best of all of my experiences in publishing this book. I love it. That's so great, too, because, you know, that is your book, they say, is your business card in the world, right? right when you exactly. write a book, uh, people that that really elevates you. People are like, wow, she really knows what she's talking about because she wrote a book. Right. So right. but but what an accomplishment that you were able to put that out there and birth this book and be able to have the impact that you have as this book and your message spreads throughout the world and makes a difference in people's lives. So congratulations. I know that's not easy. I've been on a journey of writing a book. It's taken me way longer than it should. And so I just can live vicariously through you (laughs) until I actually birth it. But I just, it's amazing. I love everything about it. I especially love the cover. I love the name, of course, um, and just what what it stands for. Um, But really the impact that it's making in the world is so, so big. Um, but now we have to take a turn here. So, so we're going to talk a little bit about the bad because it's always so much fun to talk about the good, right? But let's talk a little bit about the bad part of your journey. Um, not the ugly, we'll save that for last, but (laughs) let's tell them a story about the bad. Okay. So the bad part of the story is something that's a lot more personal, Um, I was pregnant with my very first child living in Connecticut. My parents were out in Chicago, so thousand miles away. And my mother had a stroke the week before my child was born. She hung in there until several hours after Nathan came into the world and then she passed away. So here I was a new mother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a baby. Um, and my mom was was gone. And I really had to learn how to find the strength within myself. I was I was the mom now. And my mother was a terrific woman. She had gone back to college um, after she had four kids and after Um, the youngest, which was me, was in middle school, went, got an undergrad degree, ended up getting a master's degree, um, 
really a woman um, who who taught me and and someone who I looked up to so much. So her lessons were still with me, and um, I you know I needed I needed to carry on, and um, so that was that was really the bad. And that's hard too, because I remember like being a mom for the first time, you're thinking I need my mommy, right? Because <laughs> like, like, I don't know what to do with this child, but I know my mom knows, right? right and so exactly. that was like, she was the rule book and she wasn't there anymore. Um, but you know, that's the thing about legacy is that like, you know, how she raised you and your siblings and Uh, And so you could honor her in that way. But I can't even imagine how difficult that was uh, at that time. It was already a difficult time, Uh, but you did it right. And so even and it was, I'm sure, harder than it would have been more difficult. um, But you did it. And I think that, you know, too many people just give in easily. And uh, but look at you now. And she would be so proud, right, to see what you did, like, and that you can actually talk about this in her honor right. uh, and, and, and give this to her as a tribute of what really what she imparted in you, uh, you know, early on that you grew up to be this powerful, confident, uh, and courageous woman. And, you know, that doesn't come easy. <laughs> a lot of times that comes from our moms, right? So I love that. And I'm sure your own children would say the same about you and the impact that you have in their lives. So, and the, uh, yeah, that's so difficult. And, you know, and unfortunately, like death is part of life, like you can't escape it. So but yet we weren't really equipped to deal with it. So like, it's like, I don't even know what to say. It's one of those hashtag no words things. Right. Uh, yeah. Where you just get support. Right. You need to. It does take a village. Right. Yes. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And, that, and that's a very important message is learn to ask for help. Right. Um, a lot right. of women are, are raised to be strong um, and think they have to do it all themselves, whether it's raise their kids or invest their money. Um, ask for help. <laughs> yes, it does take a village. Oh, so that was sad. And, you know, um, these are some of the things that make us invincible, right? When we learn, we don't think we can go on. And then we learn, we get back up and we learn to carry on somehow. And it's through those invincible times that we're reminded of who we are and what we're made of and what we're capable of. And I think that is what helps us get back up. But let's talk about the ugly, because we know that great success is always greeted with some of the most biggest obstacles. Right. So tell us about an ugly part of your journey. Well, an ugly part of my journey was being a 24 year old woman in a very male um, centric kind of job. And in, in one particular case, Um, a client was coming in from out of town and his salesman, he wasn't my client, different salesman, asked me if I would take him to a baseball game. I'm like, sure. So they arranged that he would meet me at my apartment and we would go to the ballpark. This man shows up in my apartment and he has a duffel bag with him. I'm like, huh, duffel bag. Leaves it at the apartment. We go to the game it pours in about the fifth inning. So we go back and I said, all right, let's go back to my apartment to pick up your duffel bag. And 
it becomes instantly clear that he thought he was going to be staying with me. And he is literally chasing me around the couch saying, you know, you want it. (laughs) O-M-G. Now, now it's funny, right? Because I was able to convince him, no, you're a jerk. I don't know, like, why you would ever think I'm a salesman. I am a professional. (laughs) It was, you know, favor to this other man to spend my evening taking you to a ball game in the rain. And, you know, he eventually left. Now I have to say to his credit, he actually sent me an an apology note. Um, So maybe he learned something, but I mean, this wasn't the only, this was really the most ridiculous occasion. (laughs) Someone was, chasing me around the couch, just like in a movie. Um, I can't even imagine. (laughs) But, but yeah, no, the harassment, you know, was the scariest and ugliest part of my job. It's real, right? It's real. real. Yeah. I've talked to many guests that have uh, faced that, whether it was in Hollywood or, you know, different places and it is real and it's traumatizing. Uh, You know, there's that trust issue. Once you've had that, you know, happen to you, you can't really trust many people after that. So that's kind of that's really scary. And you know what's unfortunate? I'm listening to you tell the story and I'm thinking men are doing that on social media now, too. Like they're coming into your, you know, to your personal account and like leaving these disgusting, creepy messages. And it's like, oh, don't be the creepy guy. Uh, (laughs) Of course, you're a little more protected on social media than you are when you bring this person to your home. But uh, but scary, still the same. And uh, it's, it is just gross. And I'm so glad that that turned out the way it did, that you were able to get yourself out of that situation. Too many times, women don't get themselves out of it. It's very difficult. Uh, and that doesn't turn out well. So I'm so happy to hear that you, you did handle that. Um, and it worked out because it's still happening today. It's still happening today. So what kind of advice did you ever give to your children about situations like that? Because I feel like there's women listening right now and it's like, we need to give them, maybe tell them something. How do you get yourself out of a crazy situation like that? Like this is self-defense here. Right, exactly. Well, the first thing that I have two daughters and one son, and I told my daughters when they went off to college, don't date drunk. Um, You shouldn't drive drunk and you shouldn't date drunk because you really need to have your wits about you um, and be able to make, you know, trust your instincts. And if your instincts are blurred, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Um, That's a wonderful thing about this generation, though. These women really support each other. They have they have a buddy when they go out who are keeping an eye on one another. That sort of thing is great. But every woman handles these things differently. I had a terrific older brother, um, and he really taught me and, you know, stand up to a bully. And a lot of times I handled situations with humor. That's that's just my personal way. But I'm sort of afraid that nowadays young women count on, you know, human resources. And I don't think a memo from human resources is going to change 
4,000 years of male evolutionary behavior. So, you know, think for yourself, again, have a plan. Mm. Um, Don't put yourself in situations. I was naive. I was, you know, don't meet men in your apartment, duh. Um, (laughs) But women today are smarter. Um, But yeah, I'll say just one more thing, babbling a little bit. But um, I think that women are afraid to look dumb and men take advantage of that and they're afraid to look silly or whatever don't be afraid to just say no um and yeah basically just say no (laughs) i love that yeah you do have the power to say no right Wow. Well, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I think we've covered everything from A to Z. So let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Yes, I love to hear from people. My website is very simple. It's just dianecohenschneider.com. And I have a contact uh, button and you can write me a note and I will be sure to answer it. Um, I love love to hear from people and engage in a dialogue. I love that. And just so our listeners know, everything is in the show notes. So just click the link in the show notes while you're listening and it will take you to the book. Andrea Hoffman goes all in and it will take you also to Diane's website. This has been amazing. And before we say goodbye, I would love for you to finish this sentence for me. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. Ah, how to laugh at themselves. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Laugh your way, right? So... That is beautiful and so much fun. And I love your sense of humor and your joy and the way that you're approaching life and this crazy topic about money and finance and investing and all those which otherwise are scary topics for women. And I just love how you went all in uh, and really brought your best today to give value to our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Diane. You can do it. You can. Just get back up and let's go, girl. You can do anything. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.